this isn't preseason. You know, your life isn't preseason. This is, this is it. And so why settle for silver? Go for gold, you know, think big and never settle. Welcome back to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. My name is Mike Flynn, and I am honored to be your host. Our mission here on the Impact Entrepreneur Show is not just to inspire you, but also to help you tap into and begin to believe in your God-given potential and purpose. That's right, baby. We want you to not only be inspired, but experience breakthrough. And we do that on this podcast by interviewing incredible people who are using their experiences, their skill set, their platforms to have a game-changing impact in the lives of others. And here's the thing. None of these folks are simply sitting back, living a life of leisure. They have things to do, places to go, and lives to impact. Speaking of that... One week ago today, my first book debuted in Amazon, Master the Key, A Story to Free Your Potential, Find Meaning and Live Life on Purpose, and you guys showed up in a purposeful way, and we hit number one bestseller on the first day. We hit number one new release in spiritual growth. The next day, we hit a top three in the interpersonal relationship category alongside Brene Brown and many others and Adam Grant and and Todd Herman and, and many luminary authors. And then the next day, I discovered we are, we were number 29 in new releases in the personal transformation category, which is one of my big, hairy, audacious goals was to at least be ranked in that category. And to put that in perspective, Oprah Winfrey was number one. So I'm super honored and humbled by the way that you guys showed up. And I have nothing but gratitude and thanksgiving for you. And this party, this train of master the key, a story to free your potential, find meaning and live life on purpose is just getting started. And we continue today with the last of our mashup episodes. If, you, if you're just joining us, the past month, we've been featuring mashup episodes with all of the guests, past guests who have endorsed my book, ranging from Lou Holtz to Mel Robbins to Amy K. Hutchins to John Gordon to Greg Amundsen to Jim Affermau, Caroline Burkle, uh, to Kara Golden, you know, all of these amazing people that have, Cheryl Laughlin, the people who have graced me with kind words offered in praise of this book in advance of its launch. And we're, we're continuing to promote the great work that they're doing alongside with this work by creating this mashup series. And today we're going to hear from both Dr. Jim Affermau and a Olympic athlete by the name of Caroline Burkle, both of whom are incredible human beings and had the opportunity to endorse and, and submit some kind words with, for my book. And I'm incredibly grateful for both of them. So we will kick things off with Dr. Jim Affermau, who is one of the world's most sought after mental game coaches and the author of two great books about being a champion, The Champion's Mind and The Champion's Comeback. And in fact, he is also the author of another book called The Young Champion's Mind. And he is about to release an app that we can all have access to 
called the Champion's Mind app. I believe that's what it is. Dr. Aphromau, if you want to correct me later, I will be happy to update the show notes with the correct link to all of that stuff. But he is an incredible leader, and I was so humbled by what he had to say in his kind words for the book, and I'll read that to you now as we go into this episode mashup with Dr. Jim Aphromau and Caroline Burkle. So here's what Dr. Aphromau had to say. Master the Key is a profoundly poignant story that is sure to have a positive impact on your life and maybe even save it. I highly recommend this book. When I hear words like that, I, I just am blown away. But but I actually do hope, and I, I don't hope, I, I know that that this book will have a transformational impact in the lives of others and will potentially save someone from making a life-altering bad decision. So without further ado, here is a little brief snippet of my episode with Dr. Jim Aphromau where we talk about not settling for silver and thinking gold and being a champion. So bust out your pens and paper, take some notes, and brace for impact with Dr. Jim Aphromau. You know, one thing I've learned from from champions in in the sports arena is they look at practice as everything. So, you know, instead of trying to get up for the big day, they're they're focused on getting up for today's practice. And if they could get up for today's practice often enough, the big game will be just like practice. They don't need to get up for it and they'll be right where they need to be mentally and emotionally. So, when I work with athletes on this, I'll ask them about, you know, tell me about your approach to practice. And when they're being honest with me, it, the response is, you know, hey, I just try to get through practice today. And so when I challenge them, you know, like, how can you get the most out of practice today? And they start bringing a better attitude and effort level to practice. What do you think their teammates say? You know, the, the number one thing they say is, you know, why are you working so hard? You know, what, are you trying to show off? You know, are you are you trying to look better than us? You know, you know, and, you know, the response really is I'm trying to get better. What are you doing here? And so when we start to change in different ways or, or go outside the norm and, and start doing things bigger, better and, you know, than before, we get held back a little bit. And socialization really, really affects us much more than we think it does. And so if you're probably don't have enough people in your life saying, you know, hey, I'm concerned about you. You're, you're, you're working too hard. You're, you're coming up with all these great ideas. You know, you're, you're doing things way outside the box. Then you're probably not pursuing your greatness as much as you can. So I think a lot of times we, we don't realize that. And then also, too, when we get feedback like that from teammates, it's kind of like, okay, I just want to fit in. I don't want to stand out. I, you know, I care too much about their opinions. And that's just not going to lead to anything special. So that is a, a great, I mean, I, I love that story and that example. Have you ever heard of a guy, he's passed since, but he ran an organization called the Pacific Institute up in Seattle, a guy by the name of Lou Tice? I'm not familiar with Lou. He wrote a book called um, Personal Coaching, and it's more, it's not, it's, it's, it's like what you do, but for like a, a business professional, you know, who's trying to perform at a high level. And one of the things he talks about in his book is, is getting stuck in your current reality. And I, I think this plays right into that whole concept of socialization and being drawn down to the average. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with being average, but it's it's if you're trying to 
to move away from the average and to improve yourself, improve your process, improve your relationships, and you don't have everybody around you on board with that, it's going to be a problem and you're going to stay stuck. So how, how, what's the process of, of coaching and developing that skill in the, the champion and in the relationships around him or her? You know, I, I think number one is uh, it can definitely help finding mentors that have been there and done that so they can relate to you and you can relate to them. You know, going for greatness uh, can be lonely at times. Uh, it's a hard journey, and you have to do a lot of work on yourself, and you have to do a lot of work in your craft. And so having someone that could just normalize it for you, like, you know, yeah, that was tough for me too during that time, you know, when I was building this or working on that, can really help us feel less alone. You know, we feel like there's some like minds around us. The other thing too is just, you know, I think a lot of times that by doing that, in our own life, we start to inspire other people around us, hopefully. So we could be a leader by example. And, you know, we could enlist support from other people. So, you know, a teammate in the situation I was describing earlier could say, you know, you could say to your teammates, hey, I'm trying to get better. Let's push each other. Let's be positive rivals today. You know, I'm going to, you know, let's egg each other on. Let's, you know, I'm going to beat you at this drill. I want you to beat me at this drill. Let's help each other get better today. And, you know, I think we're going to have more fun that way. And then, you know, I think the competition is going to not, you know, they're not going to have fun playing against us next time, you know, because we're going to be that much better. So let's push each other. But then when it's time to perform, let's really support each other. So, you know, I think it's it's letting others know kind of what you're doing and why you're doing. I'm curious if if in your experience and in in your, um, you know, your thought process, or your philosophy, if if you have discovered that these great athletes or champions, if there is a separation in terms of how people's brains are wired from their ability to process all of the the variables and the potential outcomes of play, of sport and in life. And the, the thing I'm thinking about, for example, is like the average play in in football lasts seven seconds and and also the the average career lasts about three years and so you have these athletes that have to process all of these variables and different things in in such a short period of time and there's some people that that rise to the top and we all know their brand names and there there are a lot of athletes that are stuck in the middle and I think about you could put you could apply the same question to track and field with like an athlete like Usain Bolt who you know even though he's only running 100 meters there's so much that goes into there's so many variables that he and his body have to process so have you discovered in your in your experience working with all of these great champions and athletes uh, that that they're wired differently well i think they wire themselves differently by through mental training, you know, whether it's working with someone else or, you know, just in terms of they're figuring it out, you know, in terms of uh, a process throughout the years. But, you know, the, the way I like to say that is, you know, no one is born with a champion's mind gene. You know, we, we might not be physically built like Usain Bolt or, you know, let's say Michael Phelps in swimming, but there's nothing preventing us from thinking, feeling and acting like them. 
to be our best. And I think that's the ultimate gold medal is, you know, when we're being the best that we can be, and it sounds kind of trite, but it's not because that's when we feel most alive. And to me, it's, you know, it's kind of like the finger pointing to the moon. You know, sometimes we get so focused on the finger that we forget the moon. And, you know, what I mean by that is the moon is really just being vitally involved in our life, doing the things that we value most. And so for some, someone, it might be a certain, you know, type of business for another person, it might be a particular sport, but at the end of the day, you know, peak performance is peak performance. So whatever you're doing, you know, try to master it, try to be world-class at it. And that's when we start separating ourselves from average because, you know, people around us might say, oh, you know, let's just get to the weekend, you know, or, you know, it's five o'clock, let's get out of here, you know, or, you know, it's just practice, let's just get through it and then, you know, have fun later. And that attitude, you know, might be comfortable in the moment, but it's not a comfortable life because we know we're not fully ourselves or, you know, maximizing our potential. And I think that's when life is most fun. You know, I, I'd love for, for you to talk about how we can apply that kind of in, in the business sense to it for entrepreneurs who are listening, who, who are, who are trying to perform at peak, peak levels, but sometimes they just have to get through the day and get through the next meeting and focus on the present moment rather than what, is to come. How how would you coach that individual? Uh, do, do the same exact theories and processes apply to them? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it, the bottom line is it's about attitude and your life, your day, you know, your your craft is in your own hands. And so, how are you looking at it? And you know, we can either look at it through the lens of a victim, which is, you know, I have to do this, I got to do this. You know, why is this happening to me? you know, this isn't fair, this is too hard, or through the lens of a creator, you know, we're, our life is in our own hands, like I said. So, you know, why is this happening for me? You know, how can I rise to this challenge? You know, how can I crush it, you know, the rest of the day? How can I get the most out of this? And you could even think of Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible, you know, sure, he's acting, but he's darn good at it. And that's why, we, you know, no one goes to a movie or follows a sports team about people trying to be average. You know, we get inspired by others like, okay, can they get through that? Can they overcome that? Can they beat that team? Can they, you know, can they, can they beat the odds? And that's how we need to look at our day and our life. I, I often wonder there with athletes of all different levels, but I, I think about Aaron Kafaro, who, uh, who I just interviewed right before your episode aired. And one of the things that she talked about was how she, in, in her pursuit of two Olympic gold medals, she had to row. She was an Olympic rower. She had to row through tremendous amounts of pain, through broken ribs. And there was a lot of drive and purpose and passion in there that she was willing to suffer for in order to achieve this lifelong goal that she had had, that she had been working for since she was really little. And then suddenly she achieves this goal and she's devastated because it's over and it seems to me that with that happens a lot with peak performers and it's almost like a the dark side of peak performance so how can champions prepare themselves to ward that off in advance well forewarned is forearmed so like you're saying expect that that's going to happen and that could be after any major life event so a lot of times we fall into a little bit of a depression 
when we should be our most happiest, you know, like kind of what you're saying, you know, it could be after graduation, after a wedding, after finishing a big project, you know, after closing a business deal, you know, we think we're just going to be like, almost like it's a transcendent experience and we almost feel empty and alone and, you know, kind of what, what was going on there? Because our whole life revolved around it. That was our organizing principle, that, that task, you know, whether going for the Olympics or whatever we're talking about. And so the most important thing is it's normal, it's natural, it's okay, it's to be expected. And I think that's a time where you could, you know, do some good recovery tactics, you know, some some good relaxation exercises or just get away for a few days. But then also too is what's my next goal? You know, so you got to find that next challenge and it doesn't have to be as big. It could be a small one. So, you know, let's say, you know, there's a, a, a concept called the Ironman blues, which is, you know, you almost feel like I'm going to be you know, bigger than life when I finish my first Ironman. And then you feel kind of, even when you meet your best performance and reach your goals, you almost feel like we're talking about, you almost feel uh, empty. And so it might be just, okay, three weeks later, I'm going to do a 10K. And so it doesn't, you know, so then you have something to look forward to because, you know, then those questions about what if or what now, you know, okay, I know what if, and I know what now. So I think it's a big concept that we don't talk about. So I, I think it's important for us to look at ourselves and when we're in those situations and it's like, okay, it's normal, but what am I going to do about it? And I think it also comes down to how you define success and happiness. And Tony Robbins talks about this a lot. He talks about being fulfilled as opposed to being successful. And like you have a lot of people that are extraordinarily successful both in material ways as well as fame and whatever, but they're they're not fulfilled at all. They're miserable. They're depressed, and you have to. It's something I'm working on uh, constantly is is trying to to be fulfilled wherever I'm at, because that's going to set me up to be success, successful in any situation. It's kind of this whole positive psychology type movement, and and a book I'm reading right now by Sean Aker called The Happiness Advantage, which is a great book. I'm not sure if you've ever read it, but it's it's a phenomenal book. And it kind of, I want to segue into your second book because what we were just talking about, the dark side of peak performance and and coming off of a win and, and getting, uh, pushing through this devastating pain and, and winning and fulfilling your lifelong goal and then being bummed out and depressed and having the Iron Man blues as you as you said it. But your your second book, I think, and my own emotional response to your second book, which is the how champions recover, reflect, and reignite, is is even more powerful than your first book. And I don't know what it is about human nature that causes us to be so fascinated with the comeback. Do you have you ever studied that? Well, you know, it probably at a real deep existential level, it's about being reborn and being renewed and overcoming death. You know, like when, when you know, if you if you're working on a business project for months at a time or years at a time, it's kind of, you know, even when it when it's, you know, you seal the deal, so to speak, there's kind of a death of like, wow, I organized my whole life around it. Now that's gone, you know, and so now who am I? What am I about? And And so it's being reborn being renewed. And it's kind of like the Phoenix, you know, when it doesn't go well, it's kind of like we need to be that Phoenix rising from the ashes. And so I think it's really powerful at a, at a kind of a deep level in our psyche, but it's also important because most of the time we're just struggling and, and hanging in there and adjusting and compensating. You know, we like to think about being in the zone all the time or crushing it all the time, but that's just not reality. 
You know, if we watch a regular, let's say, PGA Tour event, you know, we're watching the best players on the weekend that are maybe having the best week of their life, and they're just showing the leaders. So we're not seeing seeing the other ones struggling and missing short putts and and not doing well. So we get a skewed idea of what peak performance is all about. You know, most of the time it's it's uh, it's not pretty. <laughs> you know, it's just having good. You know, like learning how to have good bad days. You know, it's not like we're having perfect days out there. So. The champion's comeback is just, you know, if you really go after great things, you're going to have a lot of great, you know, big disappointments along the way. And, you know, what champions do, it's kind of like Arnold Schwarzenegger and the Terminator. It's just, I'll be back. I'll be back. I'll be back. You know, champions, they're hard to get rid of because they're just not going to give up. And I think that's ingrained. I think about athletes like AJ Hawk, who was, who kicked off the champions mindset series. And we talked a lot about process. And then the same thing with, with Juliet Starrett, who who had cancer, who had a very challenging labor and delivery that set her way back, and then a couple years later she ends up competing in the CrossFit Games, and prior to that she couldn't even do a push up, you know, and and it's just this it's this thing that that's that's like second nature to them, and but in my conversations with all of these people, it seems like it's been something that's that was almost they were almost born with or that's been developed from a young age and and so i'm curious how someone who maybe didn't have that that grit if you will or that tenacity from the from the get go how they can begin to integrate that into their life yeah a lot of it does come from good parenting coaching you know teachers when we're young that you know when we mess up they're not perfectionistic in the sense where why'd you make that mistake and why weren't you perfect or you could have always done it better. It's more like, Hey, what'd you learn? Or what was fun about that? Or what can we learn from this? That's going to help us next time. So I think that that's important to, you know, and if we didn't get that, we need to reparent ourselves through our self-talk. So when you're catching yourself, you know, kind of, we were talking about the Ironman blues, you know, a lot of times, even when it goes perfectly well, we still experience that because the organizing principle is gone. We need to find a new one for our life, you know, whether it's the next event or the next whatever. But when we're not doing well, that's when it's even more important because then our perfectionism comes out and we start going, you know, you said you were going to do this and you did that and you didn't reach your top goal. And so we just start ripping ourselves apart and, you know, and, and discounting ourselves, you know, a lot of times with elite athletes, I'll say, Hey, you know, good job last game. And they'll say, yeah, but I made that mistake in the third inning, you know, or I missed that pass in the first quarter. And it's like, yeah, but look what you did do. And so we tend to discount ourselves. We tend to rip ourselves apart. We tend to be too hard on ourselves. And then what happens is then we start getting really anxious and nervous and uptight about the next competition because we don't want to have it again. You know, and that's a perfectionistic approach. And I like it because it's, it's, you have high goals, but I don't like it because you're just being way too hard on yourself. And what you, the task that you're doing is, is hard enough as it is. You don't need to pour it on. So we all need to learn how to take a mastery approach, which is, you know, hey, I did this well. Give yourself credit where credit's due. What can I do better next time? And then you look forward to next time, you know, like, oh, now I'm coming with, you know, I'm, I'm better armed coming into the next competition. So you're focusing on what you want to have happen, not what you're afraid might happen. Should adults, should, should people who have, who are trying to develop that champion's mindset and that skill intentionally put themselves in adversarial situations where they know they have a high degree 
probability of failing so that one, they can learn how to fail and then two, learn how to get back up? Yeah, I, I think we need to, you know, we, we, we hold back too much. Take risks, take chances, you know. Uh, you know, obviously be smart about it, but we, we play life too safely, I think. To me, it's, it's, that's where champions are made by, number one, they take risks. And then number two is how they look at themselves and the situation when it doesn't come, when they don't come through. And that's when they go, you know what, man, the greatest challenge in sports and life is how we bounce back when we've been knocked down or what, you know, other people might think we're knocked out and let's come back to fight another day. So champions are made by, they don't overreact when things don't go well. They don't start going up, see, I can't do this, uh, you know, uh, or that was so embarrassing. I never want to be in that situation again. They're like, I can't wait to get back in that situation again and test myself again. And that's the hard thing because in order to, you know, I think it was Jack Nicholas that said, people don't realize how many times you have to finish second before you could finish first. And it hurts to finish second, you know, because then people are, you know, you get a lot of grief for that. People are like, you know, what happened? What went wrong? You didn't win. You know, look at the Olympics, you know, someone finishes in second or third place in the world in their, in their event. And they're, they're asked what went wrong. But if, but if you finish like 40th place, people are like, Hey, good job. You know? So it's almost like the closer you get to your goals, the more grief you get when you don't reach them. And so I think consciously or, or maybe subconsciously, we're like, that hurt. That was painful. That was embarrassing. You know, I don't ever want to be in that situation again. So we hold ourselves back instead of like, I can't wait to get there because nothing bad could really happen. You know, I'm either, you know, I'm, I, I, I'm either going to do it or I'm not. And I'm either going to win or I'm going to learn. You know, there really is no true losing when you're going after greatness. So there's the ego, right? And and using that example of somebody coming in second place or third place and, and just getting asked that ridiculous question. And but it, it definitely hurts their pride and their ego because they've worked so hard. What are some of the other common setbacks that champions face? When we're when we're going after big things in life, we don't get a lot of positive feedback. You know, we're kind of from other people. And, you know, because if we do something well, it's like, oh, you're just good at that. And when we don't do something well, see, I told you you couldn't do it. So, you know, it's like, so the way I kind of say it is, is life is supposed to test you. It's not supposed to praise you, you know, when you're, when you're going after big things. So I think part of that is realizing when you're being tested a lot, you're on the right track. And we almost feel like maybe I'm not because I'm not getting a lot of positivity from others. So I think that's important to keep in mind. That's why you got to be positive with yourself. So I'm a 49ers fan, a disgruntled one for the past couple of years. But, you know, this this season has been uh, really, really bad. And uh, I think I mean, I haven't even watched uh, that many games, but I believe we're like one in 10. <laughs> and uh, so I just imagine you have all of these athletes that are playing at this incredibly high level on really the world stage. And they've they've got all of these expectations on them, and at this point, they know that they have like no chance of winning a championship at all. How do you how do you keep playing at at the at a peak level at that point? What drives them to continue to do better? Well, this is where ego can maybe be used in the right way, where you say, you know, in the wrong way would be, you know, this is embarrassing. Let's get through the season. You know, what the heck happened? You know, that's not going to help help. You know, I think maybe taking some pride and saying, you know what, 
no one's going to finish these last four or five games better than us. You know, let's shock the world. We have a chance to do something crazy here, finish strong, and then go into the offseason and really take a hard, cold look at the whole season, pull out the positives, dump the negatives, and then next year we're coming in better than ever. So, you know, I think even when things seem impossible or, you know, that what's the point, I think champions still find a point and still find a way to get the job done or at least give their best effort. And and so I, I like the idea of standards more than, you know, expectations. What are our standards? And our standards is we're, our, goal, our ultimate goal is always to win the next game one play at a time. That should always be our standard. So whether we're, you know, one and nine or nine and one, that's our attitude going into next game. So, so champions really play every single game or, or strive to play every single game as though it, and it in and of itself is a championship level match. Yeah, it's a championship level match and it's a fun opportunity to, you know, flex your talents and enjoy what you do. You know, we, we all get misled by the destination and, and the joy really is in the walk. You know, a lot of times we look at it backwards, you know, like once I start doing better or, you know, we start doing better as a team, then let's start having fun. And, you know, it's really like, it should be the other way around. The more fun we have, then the better we'll start doing. And so you could have your cake and eat it too. You could have fun and that will help you play better. And when you really look at the, the best athletes in the world, the best performance in the performers in the world, the best business you know, folks in the world, they really love what they do. And so that should be first and foremost, like, this is cool. This is fun. You know, and think about, you know, even the 49ers, this is really cool. Let's do this for ourselves and for our team and, you know, for our city, you know, our fans and our, for our city, you know, let's, let's, let's be inspiring here the rest of the way. I love what you said a moment ago about when, when champions like in the 49ers situation where they're, you know, they have a, a terrible season record, but champions in, even in the midst of failure and adversity, still find a point. And I love, I love that. You know, we've covered a lot in our conversation today. We've talked about the importance of body language, how the struggles of moving away from the average while still remaining humble, the, the different strategies to uh, develop your mental strength, and so much more. If there's one thing that you want people to remember from our conversation, what would it be? You know, the theme of the Champion's Mind book is uh, think gold and never settle for silver. So, you know, this isn't this isn't preseason. You know, your life isn't preseason. This is this is it. And so why settle for silver? Go for gold. You know, think big and never settle. This episode is brought to you by the Lawton Marketing Group, a full service advertising and design agency specializing in websites, social media, apps, logos, and more. Based in Oklahoma, they work with clients across the nation from small businesses to large corporations and everything in between. You can find them right now on the web at www.lawtonmg.com or call them at 580-275-2063. Connect with them now for a complimentary competitive analysis of your website. Just tell them the Impact Entrepreneur told you to call. Before we get to our next guest, I want to encourage you to hit pause and head over to Amazon and go buy that book right now, Master the Key 
Mike Flynn. If you type those words into Amazon, it will show you a beautiful cover with a big gold key in it, and you can either download that to your Kindle or what I recommend is actually get the paperback because there is a journal and workbook component built into four of the main parts of this book, and I want you to engage with it. That is one of the reasons why I actually wrote it in the style I did, and I hope that you do. So, so head over to Amazon and either download that or preferably by the paperback version of the book. There will actually be an audible version coming in the very near future. I am in the process of working on that as we speak. But again, head over to Amazon and get this book, the paperback version, so that you can engage with it in a kinetic way and feel the emotion and process it and write it in it and bend the pages and do all of those things. This will be a book that you will want to buy a couple copies of because you're going to want to have one for yourself and definitely one to give away. So again, thank you, Dr. Jim Affermau for spending time with us. And now we are going to talk about an incredible human being who I've become friends with named Caroline Burkle. She is a 2008 Olympic bronze medalist and the co-founder of Rise Athletes, along with Rebecca Sony, also an Olympic athlete, swimmer, both of them were swimmers, turned entrepreneurs. And in 2015, they co-founded Rise Athletes with an ambitious goal, which was to create a community for cultivating, creating, and discussing things that would uplift them, their peers, and the next generation of Olympic athletes. And let me tell you, Caroline and Rebecca and all of their Olympic mentors are absolutely crushing it. And if you have a young Olympic hopeful, you need to go check out Rise Athletes and get involved with what Caroline, Rebecca, and their team are creating because it's just tremendous. But here is what Caroline had to say about Master the Key. Believing our thoughts is a sacred practice. If we believe false stories and made-up scenarios, we will limit our ultimate potential. Master the Key gives us the space to understand those limits to our potential and change the story indefinitely. I 100% agree, Caroline, and I'm incredibly thankful for your friendship and your contribution and your encouragement of me during this journey. You have uh, big high fives and hugs coming your way. So without further ado... I encourage all of you listeners, again, to go, go over to Amazon, and then after you buy it or download that book, bust out your pens and paper, take some notes, and brace for impact as we listen to this wonderful episode with actually both Caroline and Rebecca, because it was a joint episode. So you're getting, a, you're getting three conversations today for the price of one book on Amazon, Master the Key, a story to free your potential, find meaning, and live life on purpose. Enough about me. This is all about you. So take your pens and paper out, brace for impact, and listen in. You made me think about two things. One, Rebecca, I know that you know Dr. Jim Affermal, and I've got that book that you're quoted on <laughs> on the back yeah. here. He was... Um, yeah. He was on my show uh, last year and, and uh, we've stayed in touch. And after that conversation, I was so inspired by what, one of the things that he said, which was, go for the gold, don't settle for silver. That I actually made these bracelets that say that. Um, go for the gold, don't settle for silver. It, motiv- it, was, it resonated with me. But you know what? I didn't really know why. I didn't, um, I didn't really quite understand. Okay, yeah, go for the gold. Don't sell- that seems like an obvious thing, right? Um, but I didn't really understand it until the Winter Olympics. And, and what you just said reminded me of this because 
Do you remember watching the women's Super G? Did you guys watch the women's Super G at all? There was this- I didn't. Oh my, you got to go curling and bobsledding <laughs> and half pipe. <laughs> you have got to go watch this and you have got to go make all of your athletes watch this. There's very important lessons here. Women's super G, this woman from Austria ends up like crushing the competition. Lindsay Vaughn's long gone. This woman from Austria is the, is going to be, she's the gold medal winner. You know, everybody's congratulating her giving her hugs up on the top of the mountain is this woman from the Czech Republic who was a, competing in two different sports in, in the Olympics, one of which was this alpine skiing event. And then what the other one was this racing snowboarding uh, event. And, and she, the, she was like in 26th place in the Olympics. And she was on the top of this mountain in 26th place and she won gold medal. She came down and she won the gold and the, her, the, the expression of her on the, on the bottom of this mountain at the end of this race is she's just dumbfounded. She's like, what, what just happened? Like, you know, and it just is like, you know what? She wasn't worried about the person behind in front of her, that girl that had, you know, she didn't, she was just focused on winning her race. And I think that for myself, I'm like, man, I need to just focus on winning my race, you know? And, and this mountain, this one moment, this one event is my gold medal moment. I'm not worried about anything else. I'm just worried about giving it my gold medal best. And it, it, NBC did a really great thing on this, this lady. Her name is Esther or something. Um, Pearl, Esther Pearl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, just a really powerful thing. So I, I'd be curious to know how you guys are coaching these kids, not only to be aware of, it's really a self-awareness thing, right? It, for, it's for ourselves. It's for the people that we're coaching. It's about making sure that they're self-aware, that they're present in that moment, but also that they're not celebrating too early. We've seen many times where people have celebrated success a little too early, only to have it stolen out from under them. Unless you're insane bolt. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> like fist pumping with like 20 meters to go. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that, I mean, there, there's so much to it, but it's, it's just, I mean, the way that you described it too, talking about Esther and Super G's, I think, you know, being in 26th place, it removes a bit of expectation. And I know from my mm. own swimming days, I loved racing in like the underdog position when, when I was not, you know, suspected of winning or being the one that was going to, you know, be in the target. So it just, it frees you from that expectation and, and allows you to, you know, I, I do teach my athletes often about letting go, which is a huge topic and it's relevant in every aspect of our lives. But in the case of performance, you know, letting go of both trying to control and, and, and overthink every detail of your race, letting go so that you kind of release the, the grip, death grip on what you're trying to do and just let it happen because you put in the training and, and you know, that allows you to find your, your flow state instead of, you know, if you're trying to force something, you never quite tap into that in the zone that all the athletes, you know, talk about experiencing time to time. And, 
And she just from, you know, even though I didn't watch it from your description when she finished and she's dumbfounded, you know, that nice. that's a clear sign that in the zone you you had gotten into this, you know, other dimension when it just took over. And and it's not just, you know, a random coincidence, but it's a result of both all the things that you put into it, all the training and and also, you know, a certain level of fascination with the thing that, with the idea that she was there in two different sports. She was there as a snowboarder and as a skier, which, you know, we see all the time. So, you know, let's take it to a, an organization that's looking for hiring people outside of their own you know, specialties because they bring something new to the table. They're not already locked into all these things that they can't do. They know the limitations because they've been here so long. They know what they can't do. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of athletes and and all of us have these ideas of, I can't do this. I can't do that. I know that I can't because I've been here long enough to know what's possible and not possible. So perhaps there was a lack of lack of restraint, Mm -hmm. (laughs) lack of restriction, Mm -hmm. self-imposed restrictions Mm -hmm. that, that um, we put on ourselves and just a combination of those things that came together at a certain right moment. I love that. You know, pressure is a privilege. And uh, I heard that from Eli Manning once. And, you know, there's also a a privilege of not having the pressure, so to speak, you know, and just going out there and just skiing your best race, you know, or or having your best meeting, you know, And, and there's a lot of value in that. You know, did you have anything you wanted to add to that, Caroline? No, I mean, she nailed it with that. I think one of the things that comes up for me when I when I coach athletes to, and mentor athletes as well is that to force yourself into a single role is like killing off the other mm-hmm. parts of you that are there. And I know that um, I really, I tend to use a lot of of like... Like Brene Brown style teachings and what I talk about with them about like it's okay to have more than one thing that you want to do, you know, because a lot of athletes are like, but I can't be this good at this if I'm like focusing on this. And I'm like, okay, well, that's your belief and mm-hmm. that's what you've told yourself. It's a story you've told yourself. And mm-hmm. so I think um all of us have a side of us that is creative. And I think that when you you like because every single thing in the world is creative i don't care if it's a spreadsheet or if it's a tree (laughs) like it Mm -hmm. is to somebody Mm -hmm. and so everyone's trying to fit in these boxes and i think it's just important that the athletes know that they can go for what they want to go for and still be something else as well like it doesn't mean that you have to kill off every other part of you to be successful totally at one thing and we're going to talk about identity in a second because transitioning from something you've worked your whole entire life for into something new and having to reinvent yourself is incredibly challenging. And you guys are in a great position to help these kids navigate through some of that in advance, um, you know, through your own experience. But before we go there, you know, you mentioned Reb that your coach had told you uh, that you would be the first woman to break 220. And incidentally, this morning, I'm like, you know, right before the interview, I'm like, gosh, I wonder. I wonder what the history of the world records are for the 220, the long course that you swam and then you broke, you helped, you broke the record like two days in a row. <laughs> and, and I don't exactly know exa- where I'm going to go with this question, but I was curious about the history. So I looked it up. The first recorded world record time for, for uh, women 
was in 1921 when a woman from Germany swam 338. And then 17 years later, the first woman to break three minutes was a girl from the Netherlands who swam 258. And then fast forward to 2012 and you break the record, you swim 220 and then then 219. So the thing that's, that's crazy to me is the water's the same, (laughs) the distance is the same. So what in the hell makes that possible? Yeah, that's such an interesting idea because if we follow that trend, if we graph it out, let's say time versus years that have gone by, it's a very noticeable decline in time. So where, how far is it going to go? How is it possibly, you know, being that we were both there, we were both racing, we were both training to the peak of our abilities. We put 20 years into being the athletes that we were, we utilized the, you know, nutrition and the best weightlifting programs. And we had the best of the best and we performed at that level that we performed at. And even since we both retired, the kids have been going faster than we are, you know, it just keeps progressing. So how far can it actually go? You know, and it's a very interesting question. Um, as for, you know, what makes the difference? I I think, um, obviously it's continued to keep getting faster, but just, you know, the progression of sports between, you know, the technologies, the suits that we're wearing, but also the, the more time that goes on, the more research into how people are training and different training atmospheres. And, and you know, just even in our own lifetimes, especially in women's sports, you know, women are able to compete in college now where there was a time when women's swimming didn't exist in college. And, and not only that, but there was a time when athletes stopped after college. There was no such thing as, you know, swimming after college. Mm-hmm. So you, you just have to go and get a job and move on with your life. So mm-hmm. a lot of, um, I'm curious, I'd be curious to see the ages on everybody, you know, on those oh, yeah. records, because I would guess they would all be 21 and under. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's the, just the lifespan of the athlete has progressed. Technologies have progressed and training, um, you know, knowledge of training and, and, but also, you know, the, back to the carrot and the stick once even, even Michael Phelps dangled a carrot for everybody else. And eventually yeah. they did catch up and their mm-hmm. times did catch up. And, and, you know, back in 2009, we had a surge of technology with our swimsuits that all of a sudden they had these, you know, really high performance materials that, you know, the first time I put it on and just dove in the water without much effort, I was like underwater at the other side before I even put in an effort. Like the suit was swimming for me. It was insane. Oh, wow. I don't even know how, but in 2009 world championships in Rome, every single world record was broken by a lot in some cases. And once those suits were banned and we kind of took a step back in the suit technology and, you know, the question was, is anyone ever going to touch those world records again? And a lot of people were, you know, skeptical, but those were just carrots dangled. And eventually we, we start to accept that that's, you know, I can do that. I can go beyond that. Um, but, but it is, you know, how far is it going to go yeah, <laughs> at yeah. a certain point? Like you just can't swim a 200 breath stroke in a minute and a half. Yeah, like, right. I don't, I mean, maybe, <laughs> maybe, I don't know, but it's, it's pretty wild. Well, I mean, I was, as you, as you're talking about all the technology, I'm thinking when I, when I was writing that question down, I'm like, 
it's swimming. How much innovation can there be in swimming? It's just, but there totally is. I mean, like there's like there's anything can be innovated. Like this this the stroke style, you know, the strength training programs and the nutrition that this I did, you know, I hadn't even thought about all that. But yeah, like innovation, unless you're the only way to disrupt anything, whether it's a world record or uh, some sort of business entity, is to innovate. Or you're gonna edge yourself out. Yeah, go ahead, Caroline. Well, and that's the same thing. You know, I was reading. There's this like really cool book at one of the coffee shops in Hermosa Beach, and it's called Surf Shacks, and it's like this big, thick book. And like you would think, reading through it, it's just like cool pictures of surfers and surfers' homes and all these like minimalist things. And but there's these like truth bombs that are dropped in there, and they're so <laughs> good. And you know, one of them was one of this one of these surfers that you know, makes boards and literally lives out of his airstream. And it's this beautiful minimalist place. And he wrote, you know, people are always, there's no original idea anymore. Like no matter what it is, and there's nothing that's just brand new, you know, like everything is a building off of something else. And I think, you know, even like five years ago, I would get so feisty and competitive about that. I'm like, oh, this is doing this and we should be doing this. And, you know, and it was like, <laughs> I was so angry about it. And even now I get like a spurt of like, hold up, you know, but now it's like the wheels turn in business life, you know, that's like, okay, that has been done. How can you do it better? Mm. And it doesn't mean mm. that that person's not going to do it better either. And it mm. doesn't mean that Joe Schmo over there is not going to do it better or better. It's like, but what is better? It's just mm. different is what it is. And so I think it's just adopting different ideas to create different outcomes. And, you know, those ideas become part of that process. And I think that whether it suits like RevSet or technology or in business, if it's technology or ideas or, you know, somebody doing something totally innovative and different, Mm -hmm. that's part of the process. Mm -hmm. And as long as we can be in that space, then that's, healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's when you start comparing as if it's supposed to be their way that that's when it becomes unhealthy. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. The, and that, again, it's, it's going to be a process. That's not mm-hmm. going to change. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the world keeps turning and everybody keeps growing. It's just really cool to gather ideas and continue to grow, whether you're an athlete, an entrepreneur, a artist, a engineer for rocket ships or whatever it may be, you know, like there's always going to be somebody else that's like, you know, so one of the the things you guys have got going for you is, is how you've, uh, you've stepped into the, the ability to reinvent yourself. Right. So you've, you spent your whole, you know, adolescence and early adulthood going from practice to performance to mastery and performing at the, the highest level, and then you retire. And I, I wonder if it's it's weird to say, to hear yourself use the word retire, um, but... <laughs> Where are all the perks? I know, I know. <laughs> Retirement. Like, you know, you, you've got all of this stuff, right? All, everything you've worked toward and for, and all of the fanfare associated with that. And then the next day you retire and the next day all that fanfare and everything is still there, but you're going this way right now. And that's gotta be challenging. I I mean, I I think it can be challenging, 
And then there's some people that don't necessarily have a, a system or a support group or or some way to navigate through that reinvention. But you guys have, and you've made some really great choices. And I think a lot of it has to do with your fascination and 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 mindset to begin with. But I'd love to to hear what some of the building blocks for your reinvention have been. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the transition is beginning to be more talked about, in, which is fantastic because, you know, as an athlete, when you leave your sport, that's usually the first time that you think about transitioning. And I uh, certainly, you know, I experienced a very mild and a lot of interesting emotions after my first Olympics in 2008. Um, you know, anytime you're at such an emotional peak and then you come down off of that, it's, it's going to cause a lot of just emotions and thoughts. And, and, you know, in my case, I went back into my final year of NCAA competing at USC and it just, there was nothing quite as exciting. There was nothing quite as compelling. And, and, you know, there was a certain level of, of, you know, almost depression that comes with that. And so once I decided to continue swimming, I, I had an idea that, okay, if I'm done in 2012, I'm going to have to face that again. And it's probably going to be a lot worse, a lot stronger as I'm actually going to be completely finished with swimming. And I didn't have an idea of what I wanted to do afterwards. And I put my whole heart and soul into swimming and my entire, you know, it was a career at that point. So I think, you know, the best thing that I did coming out of, of London and it was certainly very challenging. You know, there were days when I couldn't see a reason to get out of bed. It was just, well, I don't really, you know, I was happy I had my dog because he was my reason. I had to go taking for a walk, <laughs> you know, it's just the little things. But the, the one thing that I really do credit myself for as little as I knew in that time was recognizing that I didn't know the next steps and that that was okay. Mm. Um, it was a time when I, you know, was reaching out to a lot of athletes that gone through this, just talking through it with a lot of people. And Caroline was one of those people because she had retired just a few years before me. And, and, you know, we faced a lot of that process together at the same time. But I think that also, you know, giving yourself the time to grieve uh, for, you know, and, and understanding that losing your purpose is, is essentially what happened. You know, when you're switching roles, I lost my definition as an athlete and being able to compete um, and show up every day in the structure and the routines and, and essentially my purpose. My purpose until then was to become the best athlete that I could. And, and, and you know, I considered, you know, do I, do I go back to swimming? Because I have a lot of people giving me feedback that they were not very happy that I wasn't swimming anymore. And, and you know, what else can you do? What else are you going to do? And, and what was your experience transitioning? Oh, gnarly. <laughs> I mean, no, if fans are buts around about it, but at the same time, it was also a time that I made new communities and I, I went into that transition with that exact goal. You know, I retired in 2010 and it was like, I could swim for two more years and I could be on the Olympic team again. And I know I could medal because in an individual event, because I just, those third trials in 2008, I just missed making an individual event. I was like, I know I could do it. But 
I don't want to. <laughs> and it was like this feeling of like, I know I could, mm-hmm. but I want more out of myself. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea what that was. And I had no earthly clue, but I just went for it anyway. And I wanted, it was almost like I wanted to struggle and I mm-hmm. wanted to feel lost again. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that it was just a feeling of, I, I'm going to crave a community. So what way can I do that? And I went directly into a new community with Lululemon. And that was something that I really valued at the time. Cause I was like, Oh my God, I don't know what to do. I just, I, as Reb said, if you lose your identity, you're like, I have no idea who I am. I've had everything told and handed and given to me <laughs> like incentive wise and outcome wise. Mm-hmm. Like, here's what you do. This is what you're going for. Boom. Boom. Mm-hmm. And now I had no idea. And mm-hmm. I thought mm-hmm. at the time that I was supposed to have some sort of idea as to like where the finish line was again. Mm-hmm. Like what am I what's happening? Mm-hmm. So I um I the community part was great, but I went just through gnarly depression and went to and put myself into therapy for two years. I was like so distraught over a few things and I had no idea how to handle it. That was very helpful for me personally. And then the other thing that I think was something during the transition that was really difficult for me was I kept chasing, like we talked about, I kept chasing outcomes and achievement. And so I went into different degrees because first of all, I loved what I did. I didn't not love it. I I went into an art, got an art degree and then went and got another degree. (laughs) And, but I kept thinking that those would make me happy is my point. Like I kept thinking that if I could just get that next credential or get that next thing that like winning, like holler, (laughs) like, you know, crushing life. And that's, it's so opposite because I would get there and then the same thing happened to me at the Olympics or at NCAAs or at Worlds or it didn't matter what meet it was. I'd get that achievement. And then I was like, what now? Mm-hmm. And like, for mm-hmm. some reason, I couldn't see that it wasn't about that, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And so it took mm-hmm. me a really long time to get to that point. And I think this past year in, in particular has been really powerful for both Reb and I in that aspect, because we both got injured. We both had a goal that we didn't achieve because we didn't end up going forward with it. It could have been epic, of course, but we didn't do it because we finally realized like, okay, I'm just going to stop and sit in my shit for just a little bit because I've never actually just like, like said no to something to, to be healthy for Mm. one second, you know? And Mm. it was like the hardest thing I think that either of us have done because we've, you know, valued our physical achievements um, above a lot of things. And it doesn't mean that you can't, it just was a really good reboot of the system to be like, what are you actually what are you grateful for within this process mm-hmm. of building yourself, mm-hmm. whether it's a mm-hmm. race or a job or whatever? So, mm. um, yeah, that's like the long, the short of the long of the transition. Thing. Yeah, no, that was that was awesome. And and Reb, right before uh, we lost your connection there for for a moment, you were talking about purpose and how your purpose had had changed, and I thought that was really powerful because I I I believe that. We all have, we are born with a unique purpose and capability and, and that the way that we facilitate that purpose changes. So for example, for me, the analogy I use is here's a coffee mug that's got pens in it, right? So it's this coffee mug is doing something, but not necessarily the right thing, right? And 
and you, usually coffee mugs have whiskey and I mean, uh, coffee or, um, tea in them. <laughs> whiskey. Uh, and, uh, and, and we often end up feeling like we're walking around life in life at, with a coffee mug with pens in it, as opposed to a coffee mug actually doing what it's supposed to do. So that sounded like kind of what you were experiencing. Absolutely. And I, you know, having been a few years now into post-athletic life, you know, just as important as it is to live with purpose is to allow that purpose to change and, you know, not trying to control back to, you know, what I was talking about, same as when you're racing and allowing things to get into the zone, but same goes with purpose. If we are so adamant that my purpose was swimming, and now it's gone or I chose to step away from it. But, you know, but, and, and, you know, Caroline was mentioning what, you know, a race that we planned to do and, you know, it, it fell through, but as, as we're sitting in the hindsight, you know, looking back at it, realizing that the reason we got so excited about doing this race again was because we were stepping back into our athletic purpose. And that purpose, as much as we've, try to reshape and we're still in the process of building our purpose as entrepreneurs and as, you know, business leaders and, and community leaders for our, our group at Rise, we still have such a strong connected purpose to being athletes that given the chance, we dove into it so fast. And in a way, it was a blessing that both of us got hurt and were forced to sit on the sidelines and, and say, wait a minute, you know, would that really have made you happy anyway? That's, that's a previous purpose. And, um, you know, I remember reading a, a, an amazing book, uh, which I'll have to look at the title and send you later, but it was a translation of the Bhagavad Gita or, or like an interpretation of it. It talked a lot about Dharma being like basically your purpose, your path. And, and that reading that book was the first time that it talked about your dharma, your dharma, your purpose changes. So, you know, you can't just glue yourself into thinking that this is what I have to be. Um, you know, you become that coffee mug and, and you're cursing the coffee mug for holding your pens for you instead of using it for your coffee. But at the same time, it's already, it's, it's right. moved on. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's progressed mm-hmm. to a new purpose and it's perhaps much better in that way because you see it more often yeah. and you know, yeah. whatever yeah. the analogy goes, but long story short, um, having to accept change as part of your purpose and, and which, you know, brings a lot more excitement to it because if you're told you're just supposed to do one thing your entire life, you know, as Olympians, as elite athletes, we've already achieved a lifetime, I guess, of, of we've succeeded. We have checked off that box and, and we're giving ourselves the permission to move on. And, and, you know, likely the same is going to happen once we, you know, move on to the next phases after building rise and that takes off yeah. and goes, you know, woo, yeah. in its own direction, you know, yeah. what then what, you know, we're not going to glue ourselves right. into this purpose. And is that, is some of your experience, some of what you've just shared, the reason why you call your organization rise? I mean, it's a, it kind of, yes, <laughs> <laughs> we'll go with that. I wouldn't say it was yeah. meant to be, um, the selection of the name, but you know, in general, we just, we definitely believe that there's more to yeah. each person than just the things that we do. We rise above those things that we do and there's more to us, even if, you know, it's just under, getting a better understanding of, 
who you are on the inside and totally disconnected from what it is yeah. that you do. So um, it certainly is the general trajectory that, that we hold ourselves yeah, to totally. and, and everyone that we work with and bring into our community. When I saw the name, I, I, I just was like, oh my gosh, this is so perfect because of the whole like rising the, the, the athlete out of the person, but also everybody gets knocked down and needs to rise up to step back into their, you know, it's just so many ways that you could use that. It's a beautiful name, you know, and I could personally continue con- conversing about all of this amazing stuff for the next like day. But uh, I think we all have things that we all need to, to do, but um, I've enjoyed this uh, immensely and I'm grateful to have connected with you both. But I do have three questions that Ooh. I ask of every guest. <laughs> I ask of every guest, uh, whether it's Jocko Willink or uh, AJ Hawk or you guys now, I get to ask these three questions of everybody. Actually, before we get to them, I want to make sure that people know where they can connect with you and learn more about you guys and Rise So online. So um, go ahead and share that. Um, we are rise-athletes.com okay. and, uh, on social media, rise athletes across the board, uh, Instagram, Facebook, and then I believe Twitter is rise underscore athletes, but we don't really use that as much. So just focus on Facebook and Instagram, rise athletes across the board, rise-athletes.com for, um, website. And for you, Caroline, because uh, you are you are more active individually on social media than than Reb is. Um, Carol Burkle, so no L, not Carol like my grandma, but Carol. <laughs> what her name really is? Caro, C A R O, and then my last name Burkle. Yes. And Reb is Reb Sony, <laughs> so we both yeah. abbreviated the first one. <laughs> nice, nice. And, and Caro will will you'll definitely learn a lot about uh, what both Reb and rise are doing on carol caroline's instagram and it she does a lot of really powerful you know little short blogs about what's going on in her thought life and it's really i want to commend you because i think it's very real and something that's needed to break through the social media noise it's one of the reasons why i admire what you're doing so now for the three questions okay so the first question is if you could pick any skill set and you both you don't have to both answer these questions. So if, if one of you wants to take one and, and the other pass, that's fine too. But the first question is if you could take any skill set that you currently possess and turn it into a superpower, what would it be? Skill set that I could turn into a superpower. I would say a skill set that I have is um, the ability to connect well with others. And I think that if I could turn that into a superpower, it would be the ability to not fully... You know, I don't know if this is a superpower, but the ability to connect without fully taking on every single thing Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that other people have. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I don't know if that's a superpower, but yeah. maybe it's just more me speaking about something I'm working on personally. But that would be a good superpower because I think a lot of humans do that because we're compassionate souls and oh, we yeah. care. Totally. I, I've, I've heard it put recently that um, that same thing is called an emotional raincoat. <laughs> yeah, that's you a know? good one. <laughs> Which <laughs> I get, apparently Los Angeles needs right now. It's raining there for the first time. <laughs> um, Reb, did you have anything you wanted to add? Or, you, or do you want to test the next question? Let's let's test the next question. <laughs> the next question is 
what are three lies that we tell ourselves that prevent us from realizing our full potential? One, I need to be like others and I need to fit in. I have one. I have to do this to show, it's kind of similar, to show, boom, this. So Mm -hmm. again, proving yourself. Mm -hmm. I have to do this in order to get this. Mm -hmm. Instead of want the have to instead of the want to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the very broad, I'm not good enough because blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Those are those are doozies, and we all tell ourselves those those three lies, and the opposites of those, the truths about the the truths of those statements, the opposite of those statements are really powerful if we if we believe them, if we adopt them. And the interesting thing is, and, and we control the narrative of our minds, right? The interesting thing is that it doesn't take much more effort to flip the switch, right? And, and go from that negative dialogue to the, the positive truth about ourselves. And yet, at the same time, it feels like moving a mountain, you know, to, to do that sometimes. Um, and that goes back to the whole thing about taking, for me, taking myself way too seriously um, and, uh, and, and realizing that, you know, I, I don't need to take on the entire weight of the world. Thank you to this week's guest and thank you for listening. If you missed any of the key points and highlights from my conversation, we've got you covered over at theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash podcast for show notes to each and every episode. And while you are there, check out Flynn Wealth Strategies and Insurance Solutions. You can do that by visiting flynnwealthstrategies.com. The Lot Marketing Group and the Podcast Masters. We could not do this show without them and with all of their support. Now, until next time, go make an impact.